0: Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders.
1: I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. What's up, Dylan?
0: Just hanging, you kicking ready, it.
1: ready for some true crime?
0: I am. I totally am ready for our incredible story. But first, I want to talk about something right quick. Okay. Okay, this week at work, I listened to a lot of Datelines. I didn't have Dateline uh, podcast. Okay. Which is basically the audio from their episode. And I realized, they, you know, when people make fun about the true crime cliches, like they lit up the room or... You know, they were quiet. And they
1: would give you the shirt off their back.
0: Yes, all that stuff. You, I never imagined they were such a good neighbor, blah, 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 crap. Dayline's full of that. So either.
1: Now, are you talking about the murderer <laughs> or the victim?
0: Well, uh, in this instance, maybe it was just the one, you know, the bunch that I listened to happened to be that way. On, the only people who are being kidnapped, murdered, are the most incredible young people ever.
1: So you are talking about the victim? Yes. Okay.
0: Right. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. You know I can uh, stray. But uh, yes, every one of them are this the most incredible young people you've ever heard of. They're all high achievers. They are all do volunteer work. But yeah, it just never fails. None of them are shitty people. And that just seems uh, statistically improbable to me.
1: Well, I hope that if I'm ever the victim of a crime, and someone out there decides that the Heather story needs to be told, that they're really fucking honest. She was a curmudgeonly bitch. She hated everybody. (laughs) Yeah. She never wanted to leave the house. Right. Every time she went out in public, she would say, this would be great if there weren't people here.
0: Why was I even friends with that bitch? Yeah. That's what you want. But yeah, because you just want them to be honest.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. And
0: I hope they would do the same for me. Oh, they will. But but I do light the room up when I come into it.
1: They'll be like, here's Dylan. He enjoys um, drinking several cold beers.
0: Yeah. Sometimes.
1: He slurs a little bit after he's had about five or six.
0: Well, that's true. That's I think that's <laughs> just biology. But, you know, it's not my fault. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm just waiting for that one story where when they interview people or when they, you know, especially when the Dateline people talk to them, um, they're just like, ah, they were a piece of shit. I really didn't like them. I'm not glad they're dead. But you know what? I'm glad they're not around me.
1: So why is it that all these victims are like wonderful people that are going to be missed? Why do criminals not seek out the fuckers that nobody wants to be around. Yeah. Just think of all the shit-stained people in the world that you hate. What was the term you used last time? Shitbirds. Shit yeah. Imagine all the shitbirds out there.
0: They could just clear up who society. Who are just
1: lights on society? Exactly. I mean, where is like the Dexter of the world? And I'm not saying anybody needs to go out there and like murder. We're not. But I'm just no. saying, if you're a serial killer and you're gonna stalk and hunt down some prey, why not? Take out the shitbirds and not like the high-achieving valedictorian honor student.
0: Who volunteers every weekend and never drinks, never smokes. Will give you, uh, you know, gives their stuff away to everybody. This one story was every time they got the boy something, he gave it away. Be it a coat for cold weather, someone was cold. Or his bicycle because someone needed it. I'm like, my God, could you imagine being that giving as a young person?
1: Yeah, no.
0: So, yeah, that's what I'm waiting on, the episode where they start getting the shitbirds.
1: Well, so I'm just wondering if, like, the journalists and all the people are fabricating the goodness in these individuals.
0: Well, I think it's just exactly what happens Because I
1: think that's what happens when people die, in general.
0: And that's what it is.
1: Is that suddenly they stop being a shithead, and then they're suddenly, like, the most amazing person you ever knew, even though they were, like, a dick in real life. I mean, maybe, well, I am a bitch, I, I just see it as whether you're dead or alive, that doesn't negate the fact that you were an asshole.
0: Right. And that's what happens at people's funerals. So you I think die, it's the and same then you're just thing. a
1: dead asshole, right? Right.
0: But okay. no, you go to the funeral, everybody's talking about how great they were, you know, blah, this and that. Though, luckily, in, in life, they may have had three or four kids by, you know, different people, didn't pay any child support, you know, living off their granny, you know, kind of things like stealing from their granny, wrecking cars left and right. You
1: know, is that stuff that would make you like a shitbird?
0: Wow, well, don't you think?
1: Oh, I was just thinking of things like Ponzi schemes and like robbing little old ladies of their social security in some mass exploitation scheme. I don't know. Like, oh a, no, like a Bernie Madoff.
0: Those people don't get in trouble.
1: <laughs> the only reason Bernie
0: went to jail is because he stole from the other riches. Yeah,
1: are you ready to get on with this true crime? story that we've got for today?
0: Let's dive right in.
1: Okay, well, we actually have two turn-of-the-century tales.
0: Tell me more.
1: Well, sometimes a true crime story is so outlandish, so horrific, it becomes legendary. The story takes on a life of its own. The lines between fiction and reality are blurred.
0: Mm, Wow. These stories
1: often have many layers, and trying to peel back the truth can be difficult, as Time marches on.
0: I tell you, with a lot of these older stories that you uh, dig up for us, there's a lot of weird, crazy stuff went on back then, even worse than nowadays, it seems like.
1: No, I think it just goes to show that people have always been fucking nuts. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And horrible. The things they do to other people. Today, things are bad because we're so inundated with media and news cycles. Right. Constant. We're just bombarded with it. But people were just as shitty back in the day. We just didn't hear about it as much. It's true. Morristown, Tennessee is by all accounts a vision of small-town Americana. They have a thriving Main Street area, historical sites, and a lovely state park system with a lake for outdoor recreation. Have you ever been to Morristown? I believe so. I've never been there, but I'd like to go. It sounds pretty cool.
0: Sounds like a nice, quaint little town.
1: However, there is a deep darkness that also exists. A creepy underbelly. Many small towns have secrets, and today we're going to crack open the vault. <laughs> uh, this first story, this first case, is primarily based on local legend. And we'll get to why that is. Okay. I know. Jeremiah Lexer was an upstanding citizen, a pillar of his community. He was a father, grandfather, and plantation owner, in Talbot, Tennessee, which is basically located just outside of Morristown. He lived with his extended family, including three grandchildren, on his expansive property. The family was fairly wealthy and held a lot of significance in the town. Jeremiah had helped establish Hamblin County.
0: So okay. kind of like
1: one of the founders. One of the
0: co-founders.
1: Jeremiah most likely suffered from undiagnosed mental illnesses, Today, it has been speculated it was possibly bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. But during his lifetime, those issues were not understood like they are today.
0: Yeah, I'd say there was a lot of people with a serious significant mental problems. People thought maybe they had a demon in them or something.
1: It seemed Lexer was living a double life. By day, he was a respected farmer and family man. But by night, he was torturing animals and later people.
0: Oh my God.
1: In Hamblin County around 1887, a few missing persons cases started to roll in. The sheriff at the time, J.F. Hayes, was in charge, but he often brushed off these reports. After all, Hamblin County was located in the Appalachian Mountains, where danger was lurking around every bend. From rugged mountain terrain to wildlife, area people were known to have accidents, often uh, fatal, and, and, you know, would go out in the woods, go missing, or they were just transient. They might come into town, stay for a short period, this is not the life for me, pack up and leave. Right. This was still kind of a budding community.
0: Well, yeah, and especially if someone hasn't been around that long, they don't have to tell everybody in town they're leaving. They just pack up the wagon and head on, head on down the road.
1: On July 5th, 1902, Jeremiah Lexer took his own life by jumping from a second-story window. However, before the suicide, Lexer had massacred his entire family. Oh my god. During a murderous rampage, Lexer took a freshly sharpened axe to hack up his wife, son, daughter-in-law, and three grandchildren.
0: How could you do that? How could you take a damn axe and hit little kids, your kids, your family with it? I don't Anybody, know. I Anybody, mean, but I can little kind of kids. See maybe you
1: want to hack up your wife? Well, I could I could hit an adult.
0: <laughs> maybe in the right circumstances. I, I think the only way I would murder someone is I was protecting myself. And I wouldn't lose, lose an ounce of sleep over that, I honestly wouldn't.
1: I mean there are times you do things and I think I could hack him up with an axe, but then yeah. I don't have an axe and you, so I don't do it.
0: Oh my god, so you would hit me with a freshly sharpened axe? Yeah. Oh, that would be horrible.
1: According to legend, the dismembered bodies of his six relatives were found scattered throughout the home. Some stories suggest there were words written on the walls in blood. Really? Yeah. I don't know what kind of words. Helter-skelter?
0: I would, I, I really <laughs> would like to know what the words were. That would be interesting in, from uh, a storytelling perspective. But uh, that does sound like. Honestly, that sounds like with the violence and just the sheer, it doesn't make sense, uh, schizophrenia. A uh, break from reality. That's what that really sounds like.
1: Upon investigation, more bodies were discovered in a pit on the property. In total, it is believed Lexer had about 30 victims.
0: So he'd been killing people? He'd been killing people.
1: Now, all this is according to legend. Lexer held victims in his barn. Many were killed inside the home in his office area. Stories say he had a secret chute from his office to the basement where he burned bodies in a giant furnace.
0: Uh-oh. Actually,
1: I read reports he had two furnaces in the basement.
0: That sounds like uh, a H. very... H.H. Holmes, That's almost, what it sounds with like. the chutes. Yeah. Maybe he'd read about that.
1: Maybe. I mean, this is kind of around the same time.
0: Yeah, and in. he had enough money to build that, you know, build it like that. And um, that's a very efficient way to get rid of bodies.
1: Some bodies were placed in lime pits. Mm. There was supposedly a stretching rack in the basement. That's... He used to, like, torture people.
0: Some medieval shit.
1: Now, this is the really odd part. It is said that he would strip flesh from the bodies and then turn the pieces into almost like these little doll creatures.
0: So he'd get the flesh off the body, kind of dry it out, maybe?
1: I don't... No, but somehow would, like, mold it. And, like, carve little,
0: little dolls out of it.
1: Kind of, yeah. Little like skeleton with dolls. skeleton dolls, yeah.
0: Now, that's some weird shit. That's one of the creepiest things I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, can you imagine, like, discovering this collection of flesh dolls? Oh,
0: you think he had them? Like, I had my little army, my green army guys when I was little, and I'd set up, you know, I'd set up a scenario, and then we'd start engaging. You think he just did that with the little dolls?
1: Maybe. I mean, I was thinking about when I was a kid, and I had the Barbie dream mansion. Yeah. And you could just put the little fleshy dolls, like, in the elevator and move them up and down. Yeah, make their little hand you... like
0: they're waving and yeah. stuff.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Put them in Barbie's car. They could be driving around in her pink Corvette.
0: Uh, That's really weird. Yeah, well,
1: there again, it almost seems like maybe someone who has some serious delusional kind of thing going on.
0: Oh, definitely. That's not or that. Not
1: quite reality.
0: That doesn't even fit in with someone who's just evil and wants to kill people. That's that's a whole it's other thing. like the thing. next level. Yeah,
1: it is. The Morristown Gazette reported very little on the killings. Many say it was a massive cover up.
0: Imagine that. In
1: 1987, the state finally released documents relating to the murders. And from what I understand, they wanted to kind of keep this hidden because Morristown was starting to grow and they were really worried about the economy of the town. They were trying to attract people to move. Right, in business, the same
0: thing they do nowadays.
1: So they didn't want this story to get out.
0: Yeah, and uh, you mentioned he was a co-founder of the county, so he's, he's in with the Good Old Boy Network.
1: Prominent figure.
0: And that doesn't surprise me at all that uh, they would cover it up.
1: Well, the historic home was eventually purchased, turned into a restaurant called the Attic Restaurant, which remained open until about 2001, so I think for about 15 years it was operating.
0: I should call it the hatchet.
1: In 2009, the property was purchased... And is now a haunted attraction called Frightmare Manor. Oh, I want to go. And from what I gather, they really play up this Jeremiah Lexer story. Why wouldn't you? Like, not only are you visiting this, you know, this manor that's haunted, but oh yeah, this guy totally axed his family here.
0: And killed a bunch of other people. Yeah. Yeah, I bet it is haunted.
1: Our second story takes place around the same time. You look excited.
0: I am excited.
1: <laughs> the Black Sisters, as they are known, are like the original goth chicks. Okay. Mary Sneed, Caroline Martin, and Virginia Wardlow, all sisters, came to Christiansburg, Virginia around 1902. Virginia was from Tennessee, and she had inherited a school from her older sister, O.S. Pollock. Now, Virginia Wardlow ran this boarding school for girls called the Montgomery Female Academy. The school was seemingly the same until other family members started to show up. Uh-oh. The one sister owned the school. Virginia inherits it, takes over the, this academy, everything seemingly normal, going like it always has, operating under the same you know, kinds of conditions until the other sisters show up. They had earned the nickname the Black Sisters because they all dressed in black. Caroline and Mary were widows, and in mourning, which supposedly explained their clothing choice...
0: Well, yeah, you mourned for quite a while back then.
1: You did, and of course, there's like the mourning veils and the big black dresses. This is kind of like end of the Victorian era.
0: I could see you dressing like that.
1: I kind of do. Just just (laughs) regularly, even though I'm alive. (laughs) I know. During their time running the school many suspicious activities occurred. At one point, Mary's son, John, who was a 28-year-old teacher, was married, living in Tennessee, and he was summoned to come teach at the school. Now, his wife objected to the move. She didn't really want to go to Virginia. She didn't want to go be around the family, the Mm -hmm. the aunts, the the mother-in-law... So he eventually decides after, you know, being asked several times, I think both aunts on separate occasions had, like, come to visit him and asked him to come. So he finally gave in. They hop a train. Now, on the way, he reportedly fell from the train. What the hell? Yeah. And he sustained an injury. He claims he just happened to fall, but there was a train worker who said otherwise and thought it was a suicide attempt. So it, it... looked more like John had tried to jump from the train.
0: Okay, so I wonder how fast the train was moving.
1: Later, John would almost drown as he was pulled from a cistern by another employee at the school.
0: John's not lucky at all, is he? Or he is... Would,
1: No, he would eventually burn to death in his bed.
0: <laughs> Damn, John.
1: His nightclothes were doused in kerosene... About a week before his death, a very sizable life insurance policy was taken out by his mother and his aunts. Now, people speculate it was suicide. Others say it was murder.
0: Well, you know, I mean, if uh, those other events had already happened, you know, they weren't even around him on the train there. Maybe it was suicide and they knew he was the damn going to kill himself and just, you know, wanted to benefit off of that. Or they could have been trying to kill him.
1: After John is tragically killed.
0: (laughs) Burned alive?
1: Burning bed of doom.
0: Jesus, kerosene. Isn't
1: that a Farrah Fawcett, like, made-for-TV movie, The Burning Bed? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. He fucked with the wrong girl on that one.
1: She was like an abused woman, right? Yes. Who took revenge on her... She abusive did. husband and like set him on fire. I'm
0: pretty sure he woke up tied she, to like, the baby. She tied him up.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember watching that movie as a child, mm-hmm. which probably was inappropriate. Maybe, but also my mother being like, "Hell yeah,
0: get him, girl! Well, you
1: go, Farrah Fawcett." Well,
0: you know it's a whole category now—revenge movies. It's yeah, always the... been
1: around for a while in the horror genre. Yeah, a lot of the, the female heroines come in and kick ass.
0: Yeah, the only thing that's ever bothered me about that is like the woman hero in the end has, always has to be violated and abused before she gets to be the hero. Like you know a spit I mean?
1: on your grave.
0: Yeah. I mean, they have to be like house on the left. horribly attacked and raped right. and brutalized. They can't just be, you know, what, what if the men were portrayed like that in movies? Yeah.
1: Well, they kind of were. Like if you look at Deliverance.
0: Well, that's true.
1: That's one of those films that kind of flipped the script a little bit.
0: Well, that's why people talk about it to this day because people are like, oh my God. I I thought I was going to watch a woman get raped. They're raping men out here.
1: Hide your wife, hide your (laughs)
0: kids. They're raping everybody out here.
1: John had a brother. His name was Fletcher Sneed, and he was brought to the school after John's death for a teaching position.
0: I wouldn't want to go there and teach. (laughs) You wouldn't? No, I don't think so.
1: He had a cousin, and her name was Oceana Martin, which would have been his Aunt Caroline's daughter. It was Fletcher's cousin. It was a surprise to people in town when Fletcher and Oshi as she was called decided to get married.
0: Oh, okay, kissing cousins?
1: Yeah. Well, they didn't really show a lot of affection for each other. So when it was announced that they had gotten married, people in the town were surprised by this. Oshi was also quite beautiful. And a lot of people believe she was the illegitimate daughter of Virginia Wardlow.
0: Oh, okay. A lot of gossip going on there.
1: very much like her aunt, not so much like her mother. And Virginia was younger. A lot of people speculated perhaps she had birthed Oceana out of wedlock, and maybe the older sister had taken the girl in to raise.
0: Right, because that's uh, scandalous back then.
1: Oceana was born September 1885 in New York City to Caroline and Colonel Robert Maxwell Martin, an American Civil War colonel for the Confederacy. Allegedly, the family was opposed to this marriage between Oceana and Fletcher, so they had to have a secret ceremony in 1906.
0: I love their names back then. They're so proper.
1: No, I don't know if the opposition to this marriage was because they were cousins or if there was some other reason why.
0: It sounds like there could be a plethora of reasons. reasons.
1: During this time, the sisters are trying to manage the school. They rack up a ton of debt owing tradespeople who had been working on the school on different projects. They had several lawsuits brought against them. They made a lot of shady business deals. The reputations that they had in town quickly began eroding, and people just didn't trust them at all. Rumors began to swirl around about the women. A story circulated about an unwed girl at the school who had a baby. It disappeared without a trace. Ooh. A driver told stories of how the sisters paid him to drive them around to the cemetery at odd hours, including at night. Uh Uh-oh. He claimed to have witnessed the women whispering incantations and making gestures over certain graves.
0: Oh, you know, that got people stirred up.
1: Students at the school say they would w- awake, now this is super creepy, in the middle of the night to find the women standing by their beds. No. uh uh-uh. And then the women would just, like, retreat back into the darkness and leave the room
0: well, I, without
1: saying anything.
0: I would be out the next day.
1: Yeah. Attendance at the school began to drop, and the classrooms were chaotic. Rules and order fell by the wayside. Unpredictable behavior by the sisters, like, started to, you know, take place. For example, they would sometimes put, like, three padlocks on the doors and not let any of the students leave the building.
0: That would make me uncomfortable.
1: There would be no one in the classroom. The sisters would just be walking up and down the halls, like,
0: freaking kids out. They're not even properly staffed, it doesn't sound like at this point. They're in debt. Their reputation, which was a big deal then, your word, was your bond? People lived by that, so they can't get it properly. You know, no proper maintenance. You know, there. It's just, uh, it's falling apart. They're totally, it's totally going to pieces.
1: And you've got to consider if this is a boarding school. Parents are likely paying a pretty penny for their children to attend this school.
0: Yeah, and that's also full service. You got, you know, you got to have room, board, food, activities you you got to take care of everything when someone comes stays at the right. school. Right. So
1: when the enrollment starts to drop, right. then that means that money's not coming in. The
0: revenue's dropping off, you can't your credit's shit now, you can't get anything on credit. So I could uh, imagine those kids uh started wanting to go home. And that's there you go.
1: By 1908, the sisters had pretty much abandoned the school, packed up and moved. From what I've read, they Traveled around, went to New York City, Canada briefly, and then settled in Orange, New Jersey. And in 1908, the police were called to this really shabby house. Inside, Oshie Sneed was discovered nude in a bathtub. It was filled halfway up with water. Her head was sort of tilted under the faucet. A letter was found pinned to a garment, which was like a nightgown, read like a suicide note. And it was sort of found disheveled as if somebody had sort of tossed it halfway into the tub.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds totally how suicide works.
1: Virginia Wardlow was questioned by police and gave some pretty unsatisfactory answers.
0: I could imagine. To their questions. Yeah.
1: They held her. They went in to investigate the home. Once they realized something was up, they found this house completely dirty Almost like hoarders live there. No heat. No hot water inside. There was no food in the house. But they did find just piles. And this is why I said it was almost like a hoarder. Just piles and piles of eggshells and milk cans.
0: Oh, God. Which,
1: can you imagine the smell's got to be kind of funky, From the milk
0: and the eggs? Oh, no.
1: This is the really odd part as well. Now, I mentioned that they were briefly in Canada, New York. Settled in New Jersey. Well, at some point, Fletcher had, like, up and left and went to Canada. He changed his name and was living in Canada with this alias.
0: Okay, he's getting the hell away from him?
1: The whole time, Caroline is telling her daughter Oshi that Fletcher is dead. (laughs) But, in fact, he's alive and well and actually in touch with his mother... The aunts, what? they know where he is, what he's doing, that he's using this fake name. But the whole time they're telling Oshi, oh, he died.
0: That's weird.
1: Oshi, right before Fletcher had left, well, a little bit before that, she had had a baby, a little girl that had died just several days after being born. When Fletcher leaves and abandons her again is around the time she finds out she's pregnant with a second child. Oshi's pregnancy was not going very well. A doctor visited her because she just, you know, was not thriving. And at the time, Oshi told this doctor that she was being starved and begged for help.
0: Wow. Maybe she did kill herself. Sounds like horrible circumstances. The
1: doctor visited the woman several times and noted that the sisters were not following his instructions for care. Like everything he would tell them this is what you need to do to take care of Oshi. Wasn't happening. Right. He she would needs... come back. She would be in worse condition, very gaunt, pale, weak. But he eventually stopped visiting the woman because he wasn't being paid. Man, Every that's... time he would show up for this home visit, they would promise him, oh, we'll get you next time. We'll pay you next time. And they never paid him. So after about four or five visits, the guy's like, I'm not coming back.
0: Yeah, he's like, she needs food and water every day.
1: Yeah, he's like, ask, ask for grass. Ain't nobody getting medical care for free. <laughs> and we
0: need to keep her clean. And uh, you need to do something with those that stank-ass pile of eggshells over there. I mean, I don't know why what you're doing with that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, of course he's going to stop coming.
1: Her son David was born and in incredibly poor health. So right off the bat, this baby is hospitalized and eventually placed in an orphanage by the sisters. He died nine months later.
0: <sighs>
1: the sisters had regularly been giving Oshi morphine.
0: And that's wild back then that you uh, don't have proper food and, you know, it sounds like they're kind of out of money and stuff, but you can still get easily get morphine.
1: Well, it sounds like they are intentionally starving this woman. Yeah. And loading her up with morphine.
0: You know, why didn't she just walk away? I mean, shit, just hit the front door.
1: Well, at this point, it sounds like she's too damn weak.
0: Well, yeah, but catch your sisters hanging by their feet when they're asleep, you know, up in their dark room, and get the hell out of there.
1: Who knows why people do the things they do.
0: Yeah. Perhaps
1: she almost had, like, Stockholm syndrome. Well, it could have been almost, I was going to say. like probably been manipulated by her mother and these crazy aunts for so long. Well,
0: maybe it was, like, an abusive relationship, just no different than if it was with a spouse, you know? that? Yeah, yeah, I bet you're right.
1: After Oshi's death, they return to the house for further investigation. You know, initially they had found a few things, thought it was odd, but then once they start to realize she's had morphine in her system, this
0: looks like shit. Starb,
1: adding up exactly. They go back, they find a clump of blonde hair in the house, as if it belongs to someone. Okay. They find a femur bone, human bone, mm. and they find an infant's eye socket. What? Just the eye socket? Yeah. Like just a piece of... Piece of a skull? Facial bone that was like the eye socket. <sighs> oh my God. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I, bet they, I bet these people in this town are like, what in the hell?
1: A will dated August 1908 claimed that Oshie had left everything to her mother, Caroline Martin which was a total of about $32,000 in life insurance money.
0: Ah, nice. I love how these people can keep up the life insurance
1: premiums. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Now, eventually the sisters are brought to trial in 1911 on charges of manslaughter. Fletcher Sneed was discovered in Canada living under the name John Lucas, working at a lumber camp.
0: I wonder how they sniffed that out.
1: He would not be tied to the murder and would never be charged to Oshie's death.
0: I think he made a good call by staying in Canada. I
1: mean, maybe that's why. Maybe he knew that they were all crazy and they would eventually kill him as well.
0: They sounded like they were crazy.
1: Caroline Martin was sentenced to jail, but her behavior was so strange that they eventually sent her to an asylum where she died pretty soon after. It was discovered she had been responsible for the poisoning death of her husband, for which she had collected $10,000 in life insurance money. Now, remember, he was the Confederate colonel.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of money back then.
1: She was also suspected of pushing her seven-year-old son, Hugh Hodge Martin, down a flight of stairs in 1888 because she had collected $22,000 in life insurance money from the death of her son.
0: How are they running around broke? These are like, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money back then. That alone was, what, 32000 between the two? And it must have been easy to collect. Must not be a lot of investigating on insurance back then, because we've heard this more than once. People kill over and over and get life insurance.
1: Virginia Wardlow refused to eat while she was in custody, awaiting trial, and eventually died of starvation before she could even be tried.
0: What, starved herself to death? Yes. I don't even think I could do I don't think I could do that.
1: Since Caroline Martin pled guilty to manslaughter, Mary Sneed, her sister, was cleared of charges, She moved to Colorado with her son and eventually died in 1937. All right. And from what I could find, Fletcher Sneed did eventually move back to the United States, assumed his name, his real name.
0: Hey, I'm Fletcher, y'all.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and died in California, I think sometime in like the 1950s.
0: Oh, so he had a long, fruitful life. Yes. Okay.
1: That has been the story of Jeremiah Lexer and the Black Sisters.
0: Well, that's some pretty wild... Both
1: operating, you know, kind of in the same time period, almost in the same area.
0: Wow, that's some uh, scary tales there. I bet they had the entire towns freaked out. Just yeah, even by their appearance. And then they run around not eating. I and they're all pale and
1: shit, wearing black. Like I said, they are like the original goth girls.
0: Yeah, and they truly are that close, close to the Victorian...
1: Hanging out in the cemetery.
0: End of the Victorian Probably period. Probably in the
1: cemetery taking a goddamn selfie with their like medium format cameras.
0: Well, they would have to have someone there doing the... I know, right? With the big flash and stuff.
1: Maybe they have like, some medium format camera they could operate... From a distance, who Quit knows? Quit
0: using your professional terms about photography. I just—it's just I'm thinking about the guy that goes maybe with the flash what, maybe powder. That's what they were doing. Okay, they were
1: posting it on the not Instagram of the time.
0: Yeah, they was posting it. Oh, yeah, I don't. Those prints on like, were
1: on like the town's—I don't know—billboard or something. Yeah, well,
0: they have like a community <laughs> board? Yeah,
1: like an informational billboard down at the train <laughs> depot or something. <laughs>
0: Informational and they're, build. like,
1: hashtagging it, like...
0: Hashtag goth. The Black
1: Sisters.
0: Hashtag no filter.
1: <laughs> exactly. Okay.
0: Hashtag goals.
1: Hashtag goth chicks. Yeah. All that stuff, yeah. So,
0: yeah, I'm sure that uh, they were the talk of the town, no matter where they went. Probably. Because they sounded uh, pretty... Some uh might, might have been some mental illness involved in all that, too.
1: It's just... Strange to me that you would have three family members who would be on board with this plan. Yeah. And would be okay with killing their own children. Starving. For money. I just can't imagine murdering anyone that I love for money.
0: Well, I don't think I would straight out murder anyone, like I said, unless it was self-defense. Or of me or my family. Direct family. Yeah, but... Just like a fourth cousin. I'm like, well, I didn't really like them anyway.
1: Yeah, but can you imagine, I mean, killing your own child just for profit? Just no, fucked up.
0: I couldn't fathom that.
1: No, it doesn't make any sense. But I guess we are not to understand the inner, you know, brain workings of these folks.
0: No, I guess maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but that was two gray old tales. And let's return back to the present.
1: Oh, yeah. So we have a live show coming up in January. January the 18th, it is at Fleetwoods in Asheville, North Carolina. Make sure you get your tickets. We have a Facebook event you can check out on our Mountain Murders page. There's also a link to tickets. BrownPaperTickets.com is the website. And if you go to Brown Paper Tickets and do a search, Mountain Murders, it should pull up our event where you can buy those tickets. We also have a brand new Patron to thank on Patreon, can we give her a shout out, Dylan? Hey,
0: girl, it's Brittany, right? It is
1: Brittany. Hey, Brittany, what you doing, girl? <laughs> Brittany is our new patron, so thanks for signing up and supporting the podcast.
0: Yes, thanks for joining the family, and we love you all.